Hi everyone and welcome to Dance Podcast Season 3. I'm your host Jasmine Cook. This is a dance science podcast presenting discussions with global industry leaders aiming to make research and information more accessible and enhance dancer well-being, health and training at all levels of the sector. New episodes every Monday 6am London time. Thank you so much to The Place for sponsoring today's episode. Located in the heart of London, The Place is a creative powerhouse for dance development that is leading the way in dance training, creation and performance. One of Europe's most exciting, innovative dance spaces, where artists from all over the world come to push creative boundaries, to experiment and to perform outstanding new work. The Place is home to London Contemporary Dance School, a 288-seat theatre, an extensive range of classes, courses and participatory opportunities for adults and young people, and professional development programmes for artists. Check them out at, at The Place London on Instagram, and they'll also be linked in the show notes. Morning, everyone. I'm here today with Archie, who began dancing at the age of 15 years and three years later joined the Central School of Ballet, completing his BA honours in professional dance and performance. He went on to study further at Northern Ballet and joined the company in 2018. After two years at Northern Ballet, he left the company to pursue his interest in physiotherapy and has now finished his master's in physio at King's in London. In December, he'll be starting his junior rotations. Whilst he will be working across respiratory and neurology, Archie has already developed an interest in musculoskeletal conditions and hopes to specialise in this area in some capacity. I'll let him introduce himself properly. Hi, Archie. Welcome. Hello. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's the, the classic line starting a podcast. Thank you so much. Um, no, it's no, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah, I mean, that's basically me. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can take you through the the more detailed story if you would like me to. Yeah, please do. Just tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now and how you got into dance and then how you got into physio as well. Yeah, so I guess starting off with ballet. So I started quite late. I So I was in high school. Originally, I wanted to do something involved with languages. Um, but basically, uh, towards, um, I think it was, yeah, Fridays, at the end of the day, you could have this choice of doing something CCF and army related, which wasn't my cup of tea, um, or a, an activity. And basically, long story short, all the cool kids went to go do dance. Um, and I thought, I want to be one of the cool kids, so I'm going to do what they do. And uh, so I went to do dance, which was run by my English teacher, Miss Carter, um, who I adore. And um, yeah, so she she had created this dance club. And I, I think I was 16 at the time. Um, just went along. It was just, you know, something to do, try and make me a bit cooler. <laughs> I wasn't a very cool kid. And um it kind of, yeah, it, I guess a bit of a cliche story in that um, we went on a trip to go see Billy Elliot. And uh, afterwards, I kind of thought, okay, well, this is something, you know, I haven't thought of or pursued, but it looks fun. Um, and so I said to my parents, my dad had a friend whose son went to this local ballet school. I went to have a look. And, uh, <coughs> and yeah, and it, it kind of stemmed from there and quite quickly progressed so I, I'm one of those people I'm very zero or a hundred um, and so after six months I joined this um, Dance East Academy which is part of the CAT scheme which is kind of a national thing um, and two years later two years yeah two years and a bit um, I auditioned for ballet schools um, 
because I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, so I, I auditioned and got into Central School of Ballet. Uh, and that's where I spent three years. Um, and my interest was kind of very classical. I wasn't as fussed by jazz or contemporary. Um, although we can get into the, you know, the importance of being a, a well-rounded individual. Um, and yeah, and then I, I went on, I felt like I needed a bit more um, just because, again, I, I started quite late. So I went and did the grad scheme at uh, Northern and that's for a year. And within that, we kind of worked with the company and we were involved in their shows as well as doing extra training. Um, and then David and Yoko offered me a job whilst I was doing that. And yeah, then that, that's when I started dancing professionally, which was, you know, I was very happy to have achieved um, and still am happy to have achieved. And so then I danced there for a few years, um, but it eventually got to a point where the passion sort of dwindled and I, I just felt like, I, you know, we don't do ballet for the money, we do it because we love it. Um, but the love just wasn't really there. So I was always really interested in the physios I worked with both in ballet school and in a ballet company. Um, so I thought, okay, how am I gonna do this? Um, and so I, uh, was looking online, asking lots of people, went with dad to one of his physio appointments because he's always injuring himself. Um, and the physio there said, why don't you do the masters? Because I'd already done a degree before and I couldn't afford to self-fund. And I said, well, I can't do a masters if I've done a BA and like putting on tights and jumping around. Um, but he said, basically explained, there's this something called the pre-reg masters and this, this may be of interest to anyone who's looking to pursue it um, is because there's a need for physios and many other kind of healthcare um, workers. Uh, they've created this master's. It's basically the bachelor's, the three years bachelor's condensed into two years with a few master's modules in it, mainly the second year. Um, and so, I, and it's funded as an undergraduate. So I thought, great, okay, now's my chance. Um, so I applied to universities and yeah got in and then two years later here I am. Amazing yeah um so can you tell us a little bit more about firstly that master's program sounds so great I didn't really know anything about it but that's such a clever way of of doing it I think that makes it really accessible for a lot of people but um that's not what we're focusing on just to focus a little bit more on your journey so knowing what you sort of know now through doing your second degree or your master's degree um, and also your knowledge and experience that you've had since what do you kind of wish you knew as a dancer? So did you have any injuries as a dancer that you think I would now treat that differently? Um, yeah, what would you have done differently in your training and in your career, knowing what you know now? Oh, that's such a good question. There's so so many different facets to that. Um, so I guess going off my own experience, I, I can remember distinctly in my first year, I was landing in fifth in some kind of assemblé and um, I went over on my right ankle um felt something didn't really think much of it um but it just seemed to affect me um it you know I wasn't as stable on my ankle it I couldn't really move it, it as much as I would have you know compared to the other side um and so I went to go see the physio there and I think what we did was a lot more kind of passive interventions a lot of kind of um dry needling massage mobilizations rather than perhaps a more active approach um, and my ankle has still kind of affected me 
since. Um, so I, I think what, and I base this off, you know, my own now knowledge that I think when we think about injuries with ballet dancers that affect their kind of, their capacity to, yeah, so I think in ballet school, and I'm trying to say this in a way that's perhaps not critical because, you know, there's so many approaches, but for me, a passive approach isn't really going to get someone back to the demands that ballet puts on their body. Um, and so, I, and I've been kind of struggling with this ankle injury for a while. And I've sort of done, when I then went to Northern Ballet, the physio's approach was more, there was, you know, there was some passive interventions and stuff, but the, the kind of, the basis of it was more about getting your strength back and allowing your body to meet those demands. Um, and I guess, looking back at my training so if we kind of start back there's so many things I perhaps would have done differently um and you know I was 18 and really didn't know any better so I um I guess I can't be too mad at myself but um my <laughs> ironically for a male ballet dancer I really didn't like jumps or turns I was more into like adage and something slow and controlled and nice lines or petit allegro um but I think I, I struggled with Grand Allegro. I always struggled to really get myself off the floor and sort of hover. Um, and I think, again, with armed with what I know now, if I could go back into the future, I'd probably implement something both. I'd be a bit more invested in strength training, like quite significant strength training. I had this misconception that if I lift really heavy weights, I'm suddenly going to walk around like this. <laughs> um, which is just not the case. You know, you have to do a significant amount and probably do some steroids before you get that big. Um, and I'd also implement something like plyometrics. Um, we've got, you know, we've got fairly robust evidence that if you basically train um, this kind of, well, if you basically, if you train jumping, you're probably going to get quite good at jumping. Um, so I think there are things I would have um, implemented. And it's funny that I notice now when I do open classes just for the fun of it, because I do more of that stuff, I actually find it, although my technique and flexibility probably aren't that great, uh, not compared to what they used to be, I find it a lot easier to get off the floor. Um, yeah, so I think going back training-wise, that's probably what I would implement more of. Um, I think also, as much as we talk about exercise and stretching and stuff, I probably neglected the, the psychology side of things. Um, and I think that's a really big factor that's been missing. Perhaps it's a bit, people are a bit more aware now, but I think certainly when I was at ballet school, it just wasn't as big of a deal. Um, but if we think about it, you know, I, we can't really disconnect our brain from our body. Um, and, you know, the, the body might be willing, but if you are, you know, feeling anxious or upset or underconfident, you're probably not going to be able to perform at your best. I, I don't know whether you want to kind of go more into that or whether. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've got some more questions about that later. Can we just jump back for a minute just to look at your physio degree and application and things like that so I think some people might be kind of interested in it so yeah I've definitely got some more questions later on a bit yeah. more of what you kind of wish you knew at ballet school but um and also what you did 
did know, I guess. Um, but just to look a little bit about the transition from dance to physio. So what was the application process like? Because you said a challenge if you've come from tights and jumping around to, yeah, to agree. <laughs> um, and also a little bit about like your placements, what you enjoyed on the course, what it was like. Sort of, yeah, bit of an idea. Yeah. Um, so application wise, so if I go to my experience, I'd quit my job, moved back home, thinking, what do I do? Um, I and this is before I knew about this um, pre-registered masters. So I thought if I don't know what to do, I'm going to do something similar and try and use that to supplement my application. So I did a, a massage course and a personal training course. I thought, OK, a, a foundation knowledge of some physiology, anatomy and some treatment options. Um, so then when it came to the actual application, I knew it's what I wanted to do. So I applied just everywhere. 90% came back and said it was a straight up, they, they wouldn't invite me to an interview. I think probably because when you look at most of the applications, uh, the websites, they specify that they would like someone who has come from a sports science background or, a well, just a science background in general. Um, but there were a few, there were about three universities that did invite me to an interview. Um, and so I'd, I'd done a few uh, observational days at hospitals and at private clinics just to get an idea about what I'd actually be going into. Um, and that was really interesting. Not, it was more because my only experience was from a musculoskeletal side, you know, bones, muscles, that kind of area. But then I saw this whole other world of respiratory and neurology, which I didn't know was a thing at all. Um, so yeah, then I so sent out my applications uh, and was invited to interviews. And so King's was a particularly gruesome <laughs> interview. Um, so it was lots of different uh, panels. Um, we had to kind of sit outside on this stall and wait for this person over the tannoy to say, you have five minutes for your da-da-da-da, you can enter your booth. And um, it, it just there was such a range so firstly there was the obvious you know why physio you know what do you know about it what do you feel are your traits um that lend themselves to physio and I think for any dancers that are interested in this area you can't forget that as much as you might not have done science or a science degree beforehand you are still armed with a, a wealth of different skills and attributes that lend yourself to so many other professions and so many other ways of life um and we can kind of come into that you know do you, do you want me to talk about that now or should we come into that later come into that in a little bit maybe touch on it now but yeah I think I've got a question yeah. Later, so yeah yeah I I think you know it's um you've got so many skills like uh, team working team working is massive you're not going to create a good show if none of you can work well together you know you've got to be organized you've got to be adaptable um yeah so so many things um yeah so that so we talked about that then there were other ones about interpreting a graph and I hadn't seen a graph since AS biology um and so I was trying to remember what a y-axis and what an x-axis is and in the end she said right I, I need to ask you some questions about it because a few minutes had gone by um and I kind of fumbled through it we we sort of you know I picked at something just anything I had thought I have to say something so I assumed I hadn't got it 
which maybe worked well for me because then I was I was a bit more relaxed because I thought oh well I'll just carry on anyway um and so there were others about <laughs> I was given a picture of someone um who was at a market buying fruit and I had to explain to them as though she hadn't seen the picture so it's all about communication um anyway this went on um and then we had to watch a video on someone with dementia and I had to talk about that yeah I had a headache afterwards <laughs> it was very intense um and yeah I, then I was working because I was working in a gym at the time and I got an email and I, it said you know you have a message in relation to your recent interview and I was sort of reading it as I read it I read it in a tone that was preparing myself for you know thanks for coming but no and so I read it dear Archie congratulations da, da, da. oh oh <laughs> Um, and yeah, so then I accepted it and went off to King's to study physio. Um, and then, sorry, what was the next part to your question? I forgot. So there was the, the application process. Yeah. And then just sort of the best bits of your course. What placements did you have? What did you enjoy? Oh, yeah. Oh, I loved university. I, and I remember being in ballet school, always thinking, oh, I wonder what university is like. It always is. I wonder if it's like on the movies or in the movies. Um, what did I like? Oh, it was just such a unique experience as in for, you know, coming from, you know, starting your morning with a uh, warm up and ballet class, then all the way to starting your day with, I don't know, physiology of breathing. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just a whole, it was a whole new world. And I really enjoyed that. Um, I think what I enjoyed looking back I, I loved theory and I enjoyed kind of all this new stuff but what I liked most of all was kind of seeing all these scientific minds um, and I'm sure that's what people notice when they listen to your podcast when you have all these very smart uh, researchers on is that the way of thinking from ballet school and a ballet company to university and science is it just felt like such a well, first it was like a bit of a slap in the face, but it was, um, yeah, just so different. Um, and I guess we can come more onto that is that when we look at ballet and this kind of hierarchical nature and this kind of top-down approach compared to science where they will kind of talk about, it doesn't matter how many letters are in your name, if what you're trying to sell me isn't valid and supported, it doesn't matter if I'm a student or if I'm, Professor X, Y, and Z, really we're all on an equal footing because if you can't substantiate what you're saying or trying to do, it's, you know, it's, it's not going to fly. <laughs> Does that sort of make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's look at that a little bit now. So you kind of mentioned a little bit about mindset and I guess it's your own personal development. So your own personal development in critical thinking in, I guess it comes from research and evaluating information, but it's kind of applicable, like you've just said, to lots of areas. Um, yeah, and like you said, it's not encouraged in the arts. So even though maybe a bit of a bold statement, but there's quite a lot of misinformation in the arts or things that have come from tradition that may not necessarily be true, but we're kind of taught to just accept that these things are true in the way that we train and the things that we do. Um, yeah, we're taught to not ask why, I suppose, in ballet. So what do you wish was different in ballet? You've kind of just said, um, but what benefits could come from applying the way that we kind of think in science to the way that we think in art and in ballet training? Yeah, I, it's such a good question. I guess it's the question is where where would we even start and where does it kind of stem from but I guess ballet by nature is is founded in tradition um 
and like you say questioning things is perhaps not as encouraged um it's probably seen as a bit offensive or an, an affront to to sort of respect um which i can perhaps understand but i think it's perhaps detrimental to students because we're all so different so how would we kind of affect that i guess it comes from the people that are leading at the minute and i think as our generation that is perhaps a bit more open to challenge or at least i hope they are take on roles that are more you know they become the directors and they become the teachers what i hope is that there's going to be more of an openness to individuality and this kind of heterogeneous group that come in because what i always found difficult with ballet <laughs> And this is one example is the idea of a flat fifth you know it, it makes me think of like all these poor russian kids being like forced into it but when we look at you know people's hips that we're all so different that you know what how do we apply the same rule to each individual and how do we expect them to perform the same um so i think looking at dancers as individuals rather than as trying to force them through a cookie cutter shape would be quite a benefit um both in training and in performance um and we kind of brushed on it again but not just looking at the anatomy and the biomechanics and the physiology but also the psychology which is such a huge factor um and we all thrive in different ways and it's how do we kind of incorporate that and how do we encourage people to perform at their best um yeah it's it's such a difficult one um you know like you said there is a fair amount of misinformation out there when i think through to ballet school ballet company there were lots of ideas that were kind of thrown at me not just from teachers but also from you know other people whether it was in pilates or whether it was in contemporary just i think go yeah just as a whole, there was a fair amount of misinformation. And I kind of, I had questions in my head, but like you say, because you're not taught to question it, if you did, you were kind of dismissed or um, you just kind of kept quiet because you assumed you were wrong. Um, when actually, when I reflect now at some of the questions and thoughts I had, I, I kind of go, come on, Archie, you should have said something, you were right. <laughs> you shouldn't have blamed yourself for that. Um, and I, and I wonder, I don't know whether it would work because, you know, people go to ballet school or dance schools to learn dance. I don't know whether they would be as invested in the scientific process, but what, what fascinated me and what made me perhaps a bit more critical is the idea of facts and where do they come from and how do we get to that point? Um, because it's actually so difficult to say, basically, the more I've learned, the more nuanced I've become and the more I sit on the fence, because I realize it's just not that easy to say X equals Y, um, you know, you stand in this position and you're going to get injured, you do this in a certain way, and this is going to happen. Um, so that's quite negative to choose the injury, you know, there might be positives as well, but it's, yeah, I, th I think the more I've understood about the science and the scientific process and research, the more I've realized that things are perhaps not as cut and dry as we might, that I might have thought they were back in the day. Yeah, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. Um, 
So it kind of advocates for more science integration into ballet training, which we can look at a little bit. I kind of want to finish on that note and see, yeah, see that where, where that goes to the end. But just for now, I don't know whether to go down. We can look at, I want to look at fueling and the impact of mirrors in the ballet environment. And then I also want to look at kind of strength training and what you did, because you mentioned your turns and your jumps and yeah, what you would have done. So which way do you want to go first? Up to you. Oh, God, let's let's go for the, the former and then the latter. Let's start with your first Perfect. So yeah, you mentioned sort of last time we spoke when we had a little chat about doing the podcast that I guess ultimately you wish you'd fueled your body. I mean, say more. Better, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'll leave that to you to explain. But the impact of mirrors is obviously a big factor for a lot of dancers. But I think it's much less spoken about for for male dancers. Um, fuel is so important, and I think acknowledging what your body needs and how much your body needs is a huge part of ballet training. That perhaps we focus on or are beginning to focus on more for females, but who's maybe left behind a little bit for males at the moment. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so so going from my experience, I was, um, I remember I had this real obsession with my thighs. Um, my quads, I felt they were disproportionate to my calves. <laughs> I don't, it was honestly, it was so ingrained in my head and I would, I can remember being, <laughs> being in the top studio in um, in my first year, just looking and I would try and find an angle or a way of using them that would look better, um, more aesthetically pleasing, should I say. And it, yeah, it really did become an obsession. And I think, you know, if I'm being totally honest, I, for some reason I decided, well, perhaps if I eat less or go on some kind of diet that I will, you know, become leaner and so then, you know, the size of my quads in some way might, you know, I was already quite small anyway. So I, I had this idea that actually, you know, have, have less in me, then I'm probably, my quads are going to look a bit smaller and then more in proportion to the rest of my body. Um, but yeah, just it's su such detrimental effects. Um, and you're right, if, you, if you're not fueling, if you think about, how much of your time this is monday to saturday all through the day you're you know you're constantly on your feet you're doing these really demanding uh moves and uh, you know jumps it's huge a huge demand on your tissues and so if you don't have the energy for that well your body has to get it somewhere and you know we see this a lot in female dancers about you know some of the changes that happen to their bodies um yeah and and what i've kind of learned since quitting ballet um, I, I thought, oh God, what am I going to do? Because I was basically eating the same, but not doing as much of the exercise. Um, and so I joined a gym. Um, I was doing, you know, quite classic things, squats, deadlifts, calf raises, you know, plyometric stuff, just to try and keep on top of it. And I don't know whether, it, you know, we can look at this from two angles. It, it was either that just my general relationship with my body became better. And so I was more accepting of, those kind of areas or it actually by doing that strength training and eating well and everything my body perhaps fit a more aesthetically pleasing um look for what I would have liked when I was dancing um or it's a bit of both which I usually go for as an answer um but yeah long story short I think there is you know we can't underestimate that men are still affected by you know, looking in mirrors and being critiqued and wanting to look a certain way. Um, but if they're not 
perhaps uh, utilizing the the resources that they have and not fueling themselves and not working on it then I'd ask a little bit more about what you've learned in physio about nutrition that you wish you could apply now to your training so what's the most important thing that you've learned <laughs> I'm you know I'm quite tentative about talking about areas that I'm you know understand my my own scope and my limitations but you know I'm happy to send you something that uh, you know you can direct your listeners to people much more knowledgeable than me um, but when we look at it from a really basic perspective of how we generate energy you know we eat food break it down and it generates ATP or you know the energy molecule um, <coughs> and so if we think about the kind of demand that we have you know we require a lot of energy in order to complete just you know to stay alive you know to start with um but then if we then add on top of that the demands of doing a load of ballet classes shows whatever if we then imagine that as a scale if we've got this demand but we're not really eating as much it's just totally tipped off whereas if we can you know kind of keep it balanced yeah so if, if we consider that you know dancing requires a lot of energy and if we're not supplying that it either has to get it from somewhere else or we're gonna you know really suffer from things like fatigue and injury and everything like that um and you know that's that's putting it very basically but um yeah so really important and I think it's important to get across to both male and female dancers that by eating you know enough you're not gonna. You're not going to balloon. You're not going. You, you're probably going to perform better um, for longer. I. I don't know if the, I don't have evidence to back this up, but I imagine guys, you're probably from that going to be able to jump higher. And uh, you know, if you think about you know a press up, you're going to lift girls above your head. That's quite a um, a demanding thing to do. Uh, and if you don't have the energy to do it, um, it's yeah. There are eventually going to be some form of consequence. Yeah, for sure. No, that's great. And I'll link some stuff below. But I think it's just important to acknowledge that sometimes when you step away from ballet and into another career, you can kind of apply the things that you learn and you think, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. And so on that as well, our last sort of like main area to look at is something that you mentioned earlier. So you said you hated turns and jumps or pirouettes or anything <laughs> of that sort of sort. Um, and you should have incorporated your words, not mine, more mm. plyometrics. Um, so what else do you think would have helped? So looking back now, things you didn't do in your training, perhaps because you just accepted it. And we did in dance, we do a lot of things like Pilates, which I mean, it comes up in every podcast I speak to, I swear. There's a lot of opinions about it. Um, it does some things, it doesn't do other things. But what, yeah, things like plyo, what else would you have done? Um, and what advice would you give to young male dancers, maybe also struggling with things like turns and jumps? What advice would you give them to mm. now? Yeah, so when we look at kind of some of the exercise principles, and again, I, you know, I'm talking in an area that I work, but, you know, if you want more detail, there are plenty of sports scientists that, uh, you know, this is really their, their thing. But um, one of the general principles of training is specificity, making your training specific to the demands that you're you're going to put on yourself or that you are trying to implement some kind of change towards. So if I'm trying to get better at jumping, there's no point in me doing a load of bicep curls. That's, that's not going to really have much of an effect. Um, 
so much in the same line if you're trying to improve your arabesque if you're trying to practice your turns implementing training in some way that actually meets that demand or you know uses the same muscle groups through a range um talking about range if you're trying to improve your flexibility um think about the move that you're trying to improve so if it is a developé um sitting in box splits whilst it might improve your range you're it's very passive and you're not using the muscles through that range so what might be better is to take yourself to the range that you can hold it and working within that um or finding exercises that are quite similar um i hope so basically just making it quite relevant um and that's perhaps where i have a slight issue with pilates or at least some of some of the exercises i just don't feel meet the demands of ballet i think they can be quite nice and i think they're useful for people with certain kinds of injuries particularly if we want them to stay active but perhaps reduce some of the load that's being put on their body um but yeah sorry i'm going off on a tangent just coming back to what i would do so for turns so turns are quite interesting because they've got a, a lot of different components you know you're balancing on one leg um you're turning um so you've got all kinds of physics going on that's trying to throw you one way or the other um and then you've got a whole process in your brain that's trying to stop you from getting too dizzy um so there's lots of different factors and i guess it's difficult to know this is where kind of having a good coach can help you sort of spot where you might be you know wh- where you could work on um so it's very it's very difficult to kind of give a, a general idea just because for each person what they need will be really specific um and i guess that's kind of advice to teachers as well is that sometimes you can have a teacher and you'll go off or do something and they'll i don't know if you've ever had a teacher that would just kind of say the same correction for everyone it's like oh it's probably because you're doing this but but they perhaps don't look at you as an individual um and yeah so and then thing other things i would have wanted to incorporate kind of things i'm doing now um is a bit more of kind of heavy strength training um i i think it's really valuable um and there's lots going on in the physio world about uh you know wanting to really encourage people to be active and strength train um i think it can be really useful yeah so i guess that's they're the two main things i think um specificity and perhaps something that's a bit more heavy load particularly for male dancers you know if you're thinking about that you are doing really big jumps and really big turns and there's quite a lot of demand on your muscles and your tendons um tendons are love load um but then you know like we said about overhead pressing people you know you're you're not going to get that from doing a a bird dog you know in pilates you're going to do it from practicing that because your your muscles will have to and joints will have to adapt to that demand um but it's difficult as well um you know people have got busy days um you're full of all kinds of stuff um and what we what we don't want to do and this is where perhaps a good healthcare team comes into play is that because if if you have a full day and then afterwards we say right go, go and hit the gym do a, do a heavy squat or a ho- overhead press 
if you're doing that in a fatigued state, um, you've already done a lot. It's the difficult part of where do we integrate some of this strength training, but still allow you to perform at your best. Um, and I think this is where ballet staff perhaps need to be a bit more understanding that pushing harder doesn't always mean greater benefit. I think sometimes with people actually having a deload, uh, whether that's a day, a week, whatever, allowing them to take some time to focus on either other things or focus on getting better or, yeah, just just a bit of compromise. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that could be really beneficial. I do think there is this idea that you need to be constantly pushing. Um, and I sometimes felt that as a ballet dancer, I felt a bit guilty if I wasn't doing something. If at lunch I was just sat, you know, chatting with friends, having something to eat, it was sort of, it, you know, it was, it was sort of like, oh God, I probably should be doing something. Otherwise I might not deserve to do this role or I might, you know, I might be kind of judged for it. Um, so I think there's, I think there needs to be less of a divide between the understandings of the healthcare teams and the understandings of the artistic staff. From my experience, I, you know, I couldn't, I can only speak from that. Yeah, no, definitely. That makes a lot of sense. I definitely get that as well. Like the, we feel like we always need to be pushing, but it's not necessarily always doing the right things. Um, Something else I want to look at today, you mentioned last time we spoke about your work experience at Royal. Did you do, was it a day or a week? I can't quite remember. But can you tell hmm. us a bit about what you what you learned from this? Did it motivate you to want to work with, with dancers in the future or stay within the general population? Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I remember, so when the, some of the major ballet companies in the UK were doing a, um, it was sort of a, a tribute to, who was it to Kenneth Macmillan um and so we were doing a tour um <clears throat> we're doing concerto Las Hermanas and Gloria um concerto is one of my favorites beautiful um and as part of Las Hermanas Zenaida Janowski um who's an amazing dancer and I think she's retired now but is still working at the Royal Ballet as a coach um she guested with us, um, which was very exciting. So I, I remember this is when I decided I was leaving. So I was coloring in my little anatomy coloring in book, um, trying to prepare myself. And and she walked in and I was I was pretty excited. I said, like, oh, I have to say something. Um, and so, I did, yeah, I just asked how the show was going. And she then asked what I was up to and what I was doing. And I explained that I was moving on to pursue different things and she was very lovely and gave me the email for Greg Retta who at the time was the head of um, healthcare at the Royal Ballet who's and he's now gone on I think to head team GB <clears throat> and so I held on to it I thought right I can't you know I have to use this at some point and when I found out I got into university I contacted him and said you know hi Greg I told him my my life story and uh, <laughs> and he said, you know, come in for the day if you want to to shadow, um, which of course I was not going to turn down. And I, yeah, so we went to the Royal Ballet for a day, um, and I shadowed their healthcare team. So I saw various different people. I met, um, you know, the Pilates teachers, the physios. I met um, Adam, who you had on the uh, on the podcast. Um, which was very interesting to listen to as well. Um, 
and yeah, it's a br brilliant facility. Um, and so I got to see the different kind of aspects of, you know, how some of the top ballet dancers uh, in the UK and in the world uh, are taken care of. Um, and it was, yeah, I guess it was, it was nice to see there was kind of this cohesive unit of different professionals all trying to work towards this goal of, you know, either rehabilitating dancers or helping them to achieve <clears throat> a greater performance, which is very nice. Um, did it make me want to work with ballet dancers? It's something I'd like to try. I think for myself, having a subjective understanding of, you know, what it's like to be a ballet dancer, um, but also to have injuries and how it affects you um, might be quite valuable. I think it also saves you time from having to, to say, you know, I, I, when I plie, it hurts at the front of my ankle. You can say, you don't have to ask what it, what it is. Or if they say, I've got this pain, but I've got, you know, Raymonda solo coming up. I can get an idea of, you know, how much time they're spending on point, what the, basically what the demands are. And I think that would be quite valuable to, to dancers. What I wonder is whether you become quite niche in certain injuries, um, you know, like um, with Adam talking about his epidemiological study, um, which is very cool to know. And it's really useful to guide, you know, professionals in trying to anticipate what kind of injuries or risk factors there might be. Um, but part of me finds the general population so fascinating. Um, they're so diverse and quirky. And uh, I think, yeah, I quite like the idea of just anyone walking through the door and you have no idea what to expect. <laughs> but, you know, who knows? I, I think it's the, the very beginning of my, my career. So I, uh, I remain open to the options. Yeah, definitely. I think there's definitely, yeah, different interesting things about both. Um, you mentioned earlier on that you'd like to see dance educators more aware of sports psychology. As an area you're kind of passionate about, can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, so I mean, again, <laughs> I, I say this a lot because I'm very aware of my scope of practice and, you know, it's why a team is so valuable because we have our own specialities um, and, you know, there are many dance psychologists out there that offer some really valuable information um, and again we can pass on links and I think Instagram can be quite a valuable tool if you look at the right people <laughs> um, yeah I I guess I again have to um, I'll try and put this very simply is that quite often and this is not just in dancers but in a population um, particularly when they're injured is that they they come in and say I've got this injury it's localized to this area therefore this is the problem but what we can't forget is that our brain is such a wonderful and complex thing um, and it is tied into what's going on in our body whether you're injured or not um, so if you I guess you, we can consider it quite simply in that if you've had a day when you turn up to the studio and you've slept poorly, you're stressed, you, you've got something else on your mind, right? Um, yeah, it's safe to say we've had those times. I don't know if that resonates with you, but you can always tell that you usually don't perform at your best. Um, and I guess if I talk from my scope of practice is that when people are injured, 
not only does it affect them physically, but so so many have a reduced kind of quality of life and they have certain fears and anxieties surrounding injury. Um, and I think that's really important to get across to artistic staff is that, you know, the, the way that you engage with students or, um, you know, professionals can have such a profound impact, you know, for, for good or bad. Um, and I think really trying to, I'm a fan of, you know, encouragement <laughs> um, and really trying to highlight the positives because in a ballet class, it quite frequently is, oh, you haven't done this, you're not doing that, do this more. And it's, it's so nice. And I've noticed this when I just do open classes now, it's because we're not aiming towards a show that you get a lot more praise. Maybe it just means I'm a sucker for validation, but who isn't? Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just wish there was a bit more praise and acknowledgement for people that are working so hard. Um, and yeah, I, I guess that's kind of, kind of it. I've, again, I've gone off on a tangent, but just knowing that, you know, people's mood and their thoughts and their feelings has such a big part to play in their physical health as well is, um, and their performance is vital. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of your different experiences, so from your physio to your ballet, yeah, a lot of your different experiences play in and kind of, it's interesting, although you say you're not an expert in any of these areas, it's, you have some background in all of them and also some lived experience. I think it all ties together. And it, yeah, it's interesting to make people aware of how these different areas, so their mood, their nutrition can all play in. And I guess ultimately, what in my opinion, might solve it, would be giving dancers more science education in their training to empower them, give them this knowledge themselves, um, develop their critical mindset, I guess, and a bit of autonomy to question what they're taught. Um, as well as, obviously, I'm not, I don't want to get into trouble for saying this, but yeah, I guess there's a balance between following what they're told to do and their training and things that we know work and also having the power to question what they're doing and want to learn more and be their own person. Um, I don't know if that's an interesting note to end on, if you've got kind of a key takeaway or anything else you want to mention or discuss. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm such a fan of critical thinking and, and challenging people. Um, and I think it takes a lot of humility to say, to, to accept someone's questioning. Like, it, I, I can understand the discomfort of someone challenging you, but if you have confidence in your, you know, your viewpoint, or you have something to back it up, then you don't need to worry because you can, you have a rebuttal or you have support for your reasoning. Um, but again, I guess this ties into so many factors such as hierarchy and tradition and yeah, lots of things. But I think you summarized it far more succinctly than I did. <laughs> Not at all. It's been so great to have you on today, Archie. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Chat soon. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in again next Monday. And in the meantime, follow at Sidance Podcast on Instagram. It would also be so appreciated if you have a moment, if you could please rate and review on Apple to help the podcast grow. Bye.